Hey, welcome back to In Light of the Gospel. This is Dan Blatt. Today, in today's episode, I'll be talking to someone who a lot of you probably are familiar with. He's been in the public eye, so to speak, for a long time. His name is John Jansen. He's a local real estate agent. He owns part owner of Jansen Tank Realty. And uh, he's a pastor at Beacon Bible Chapel in Tilsonburg. And he's been a friend of mine for a long time, too. One of the five guys that I've often spoken of uh, during my teenage years. So I think you'll really appreciate this conversation. Him and I can talk very freely, and it's a good, fast-flowing talk. And I think you'll learn a lot about John that perhaps you didn't know before. So God bless. All right, guys, those of you that don't know, this is John Jansen. been a friend of mine for a long time. I'm going to start off with what sounds maybe a little bit like flattery. I don't know many people who wear as many hats as well as John Jansen. Please continue. He, <laughs> he was a, a school teacher, a principal, a husband and a father, probably most importantly, and uh, turned real estate agent and then turned preacher and then uh, assistant pastor and head pastor and running a real estate company. And we all know that just simply learning a woman and loving a wife and being a good husband it has enough pressure on life as much as 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 enough already. That's lifelong. Yeah. And then on top of that, you've got all these other things. And from what I can see, you've done them all fairly successfully. Your wife looks happy. You guys look like you enjoy each other. Your children seem to be walking a straight path and doing well and rejoicing and you know learning and obedient. And then your business has done well. You personally have done well with your real estate company. You were a good teacher and principal. You affected a lot of people. So I'm just heaping it on here. Right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, just like one of those things, I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said, when you're looking for a wife, keep both eyes wide open. And after you're married, keep one shot all the time. And, <laughs> and that's like it is in the ministry, right? I mean, you say all these things and there are elements of truth to all of that, but yeah, just keep the one eye closed. <laughs> just you don't want to see too much on the well, same sides. Uh, we're all made of the same material, yeah. right? And apart from the grace of God, what hope has anybody got? Amen. Uh, but I, I'm excited, of course, to have been able to be used in some capacity in some way and yeah. hope to in the future. No, I knew as I as I was thinking about some of these things that you've done, people hats that you've worn, so to speak, and are still wearing. I knew that as I shared them, you'd be like, "Oh yeah, but you don't know this about me. You don't know that about me." And there is always that. But from the outside, you know, you own real estate as well, and you've got all kinds of financial success, business success, familial success, you know, relationships, and now pastoral success. And it just looks like it comes to you. It looks like things work for you fairly naturally. Are you are you stressed out or are you pretty calm? <laughs> uh, there's always pressure in when you wear a lot of hats that you you want to do justice to them all mm -hmm. and you want to serve well and spread and I, yourself too thin i think i have a desire to serve i do but that's what often gets me in the same uh, pot of boiling water in the same trouble right is is that i want to serve in too many things and yeah. ultimately uh, something something sometimes, gives something sometimes you can't suffer. do anything very well if you're right so you stretch yourself thin and capacity is is a problem so yeah. um but we enjoy serving and and in those cases, uh, we must, because otherwise we would be doing all the different things we're doing. Right. I enjoy a lot of things. I enjoy variety. I like spontaneity. And so in that case, it has. Uh, I think all of that has served me well. God has blessed me that way. Um, 
So opportunities uh, do arise, and, and I, I like taking chances and mm-hmm. exploring opportunities. Uh, it's been exciting and, and uh, encouraging to watch. I have often been very challenged by your life and feel a little intimidated sometimes with some of the things that you've done well at. But I, I know you and I met probably, I was trying to think of this, and I, for the life of me, cannot remember where uh, yes, or when I'm we started so hanging glad. out. I was thinking as we were talking about doing this. He's like, oh, he's going to ask me for dates, and I'm terrible with Or dates, he's going to remember the exact idea. moment we started getting together. Like John Bama knew the exact day. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. I just, I think it must have been maybe through Abe Berg. My brother Neil hung out with your brother George for a while. There was maybe that kind of connection. But what would have ever gotten us, you know, you're a year, maybe almost two years older than me. Yeah. So you always felt like the more mature one in our group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um I think a lot of my years as a youth, I was I was kind of a loner. I was having a hard time finding my place because my, you know, I had an older brother as well. And so as we're growing up, my older brother's making friends. He's starting to head out. And, and I'm just the tag-along uh, brother who comes alongside, right, mm-hmm. and uh, joins him. But eventually, you know, the older brother gets to the point where, you pesky little brother, get out of my shadow, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of left me in no man's land, stuck in between. Uh, and so I tried doing my own thing, making some friends here, or there, but it just it just seemed like uh, alone was where I fit well. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought of you as a loner. I guess when I met you, you and you and Abe, I think we're hanging out, if I remember correctly. Uh-huh. And we would get together, especially for a while. I remember Thursday nights going to Tilsonburg and get your truck stuck in the park there one time. Oh well, naturally, that's uh, I, I do that all all the time, all over the place. <laughs> Uh, that's why I had friends on to yeah. help me out of the spots I get stuck in. <laughs> but one of the things I wanted to bring up was I'm curious, what were you like as a boy? How was life growing up? Like I like I said, I met you probably when you were 15 to 17. Yeah, like I think and I think the reason we connected was probably through A Berg. My uh, guess, A Berg was my gateway to to people, <laughs> to connections, to relationships, and uh, and I really uh, I think I, I owe a lot of, a lot of that to him. So thanks, Abe. <laughs> um, Abe and I hung out quite a lot for a number of years there too when yeah. I was in high school him and I were yeah, together so, so you already had connections with Abe prior to that right and so I think when, when Abe and I started hanging out something just clicked and, and, and it worked mm-hmm. but if Abe hadn't been the kind of guy who would pursue a relationship uh, I'm just not a guy who does that I, I, uh, I guess just in me it hasn't been something that I've felt like I've, I've needed I've been quite independent and okay on my own, I Even now, probably you don't really need people to be too close to you. You know, it's funny. I thrive with people. I thrive with people. I love people. Otherwise, I mean, clearly with the, the type of work I've been involved with so long, uh, I love to, people. Yeah. But but to, to get very close to them, I have very few, very close friends. Very few. Uh, and that's been the case in all these years. I, I often wonder if that's not the case with more people than we think. A lot of times you see people hanging out, but how many of them are actually really communicating yeah, well yeah, and yeah. discussing each other's hurts and failures and, yeah. and asking the tough questions? There's not a lot of that going on. Right? Yeah. So during school years, you know, six or eight, 10 years old, 12 years old, what's significant about John Jansen? Uh, oh, significant about John Jansen. I was short. You were I was short. very short. I was, I was short. I was in eighth grade. 13 years old, and, and and the class I was in was multiple grades. So you had grade eight through high school, uh, so a good number of students. And with with all of the students, save 
one girl. I was the shortest student <laughs> in the entire class. And of course, what does a guy like that do? You make up for your shortness in other areas. So uh, it's also the class clown. You were? And, oh, yeah. yeah. I could see your brother George being up, but I didn't think that you no, would have been. No, not so much uh, there. Yeah, I tried to steal the thunder where I could. And if if my if my stature couldn't get me any position, then I tried to win it with my wit. Okay. <laughs> so when, when did you shoot up? Because now you're average height? Uh, I guess probably, probably at 14 Okay, uh, is when I would have hit a growth spurt at long last. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's how that went. Your parents, you were a troublemaker or uh, pretty obedient? Generally, I would try to be a good kid. It was important for me to uh, do what I knew was right, and, and I aimed to please. Um, so so I think that's probably a uh, – I was an individual who, who would toe the line, right? I, I, I'd always be – Working with my words, my mouth was my constant companion. My mm-hmm. tongue would do all the heavy lifting, um, but I I would be very careful to to test the waters and see how far I could go without without quite getting into trouble. Okay, and and so I would learn the boundaries and the fences, and I would frolic within them. Um, well, just as you said that, uh, Pete Simons once said years ago, it's probably like 10 years ago now, he said that John Jansen's a bit of a wordsmith. And I had never heard that term, wordsmith, before. But you and I, when we would hang out during our teenage years, we were trying to write poetry. I tried to write poetry, and you wrote poetry. <laughs> ah, right. And sometimes we'd even stay up at night and try to write one together. Maybe it sounds a little less than masculine. I'm not sure, but it was, uh, it was enjoyable. <laughs> and when you hear John, the metaphors and the illustrations just kind of come to you, unless you pre-think them, I don't know, but... I, I've always appreciated the way your words come. I think what's uh, it's been helpful for me over the years. Uh, it's very easy just to rattle off the cuff and get yourself uh, into trouble, right? Uh, the plentiful words are not necessarily helpful. Mm. The the quantity of words, uh, but the quality of the words are are good, right? You know, it's a it's a wise man who who keeps his mouth shut. Uh, and waits until afterwards to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and too many times I, I would speak first and think later, and that creates issues, right? And poetry, what was so nice about poetry was that it forced me to think about what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. And I had to organize my thoughts, and to force myself into that was was such a great way to, to vent in many ways. Like uh, I was just saying, uh, a lot of times it was of alone but I would spend a lot of time writing and uh, poetry was a way for me to express what I was feeling in a thought through way not just a random mad rush of words words. exactly Mm. so it was helpful that way but it it forced me to slow down which was which was a real benefit you still write now then I do I do Um, many times when when I'm preaching and I'm I'm You know, starting a message, a sermon is very easy. Preaching is all kinds of content. Where I struggle is to wrap it all up mm. and tie it together, to stop. Okay. <laughs> so uh, so writing poetry has actually helped me to kind of tie everything together in the end. It has forced me to, to think, well, what am I trying to say? What is the point here? And uh, so that's something I could use a fair bit and uh, still do. Very good. Well, I know... Um, when I was 15, 16 years old, me and you and Abe Berg, John Bamman, uh, we 
Lily Simons. Most of us were not saved, but when I asked you some years ago, I think you thought perhaps that you were already saved in those years. And I never, I had no concept of the gospel. You obviously had some. Where where did this come from, Robert? I mean, you thought more deeply than the average young man, writing about what your thoughts were, writing about God often. I My poems that I tried to write were more about girls or love or yeah. trying to get someone. Or, I've been there too, yeah. <laughs> and yours had more depth and meaning to them. Yeah. Do you remember when you came to Christ? Uh, yes. Yes and no. Um, or what brought you to that point? I was, uh, you, you remember years ago at the uh, the church, they would have this fundraising auction. Uh, yeah. At the uh, Almer Fairgrounds. Yeah. That would be an annual thing. And and that was something that as a, as a family we would attend uh, on, a, on an annual basis, right? We were quite involved. My parents were involved. And... And so I was just a kid and would go along. I mean, this had happened numerous years already, and it was usually a big event, a highlight for the year. Uh, and this one year, uh, I had gone, and I had a cousin who lived right in town. You probably know John Wall. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. John Amaria. Yeah. yeah. So, Spanish preacher's son. That's right. Uh, uh, Pastor Henry Wall, my uncle, uh, was pastoring at a, um, a Viva La Fuente, I believe Spanish was the name of the church there. Okay. Right. You said that well, I think. Yeah. Uh, I don't know Spanish either, so we'll just stick with that. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> um, so we were at this auction all day long, and it's an all-day event, right? So my cousin comes over there, and we're like, hey. He says, let's go fishing. So we go into town, and we go to the river and went fishing. And caught some fish and waded through the water and did this and that. Went back to his place and all of these different things that we're doing. And finally, we're like, okay, well, we should probably get back over to the auction, only to discover my parents had left already. Okay. <gasps> yeah, we didn't live close to Elmer. And like cell phones, this was before yeah. all that modern technology. And had you told them you were going somewhere? No. Oh, boy. <laughs> no. So, yeah, oh boy. Uh, we knew where this was going to end up in the end. But So there I was. They had left without me. And now I was stuck in Elmer. What was I to do? Well, they weren't going to come back for me. So I was to stay at my cousin's place. Which, I mean, you'd think, oh, yeah, awesome, right? But no, I was... Not with that dread. Oh, yeah, that was already that cloud hanging over. Uh, but I did. Uh, I stayed there. Uh, when Do you I'm remember trying, how old you were? Uh, I was 10 years old. 10. This was just before my 11th birthday in June. And uh, so I went over to my cousin's place. We were there, had supper. But this was really strange because this was a... I guess this was a would have been a Saturday. I think is when they did that auction all the time. Uh, these guys had church on a Saturday night. <laughs> Unheard of Saturday night for church. That's a Sunday morning thing. Well, yeah, strictly, and they would have it Sunday morning too, but yeah. also on Saturday night, and I think probably Wednesday. Well, in Mexico, wherever. they do it every night of the week. Yeah, like this was this was so foreign to me, right? Uh, never before. Now I had been warned about these guys as far as their. The religious views were concerned that they're kind of they're different, and mm -hmm. you know you got to be careful that sort of thing. But they had service, and I was there because of my own nice. recklessness, and I had to come along to service. So we went to service, and I remember I remember singing. Father Abraham had many sons. Okay. <laughs> I remember the entire congregation being so animated and excited. And they were singing, standing, and whoa, like, to stand in church, we're like, what's going on here, you know? We're 
we're the frozen chosen, you know, yeah. <laughs> we don't do that sort of thing. And it was a very unique experience. They had a drum set on the stage. Yeah. And people that were excited and moving dance. Oh yeah, there was just there was a lot going on. And then my my uncle Henry preached, and of course he was preaching in Spanish. Um, uh, but at the end of the service, there was a an altar call, which again was totally foreign, totally foreign yeah. to me. And my cousin says to me, uh, he asked whether I wanted to be prayed for. Uh, well, you know, like any clueless 10-year-old, uh, well, yeah, whatever, sure. if you want to, well, sure, okay. So, well, what that meant, we get up and we go to the front and we kneel at the front. And then my uncle was going around, all the people who were at the front there and praying for them, and eventually he came to me. And he, he asked if I had accepted Jesus. Now, as that 10-year-old, I mean, yeah, limited understanding, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. But I was entirely clear that uh, I had no question that God created all things and that he has had a son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he was the one that, that we place our faith and trust in. I had no question that I was a sinner. Right. But what I had never connected was that that salvation comes through Jesus and it's a personal relationship. That connection had never been there. So this is what God does. This is God's thing. And this is my thing. Yeah. God's a savior. I'm the sinner. I go to church. Yeah, that's right. And so I just hope that, you know, one day my sins are going to be overlooked somehow and I'll somehow be good enough to get in, into heaven. Mm -hmm. I mean, the concept of heaven and hell, all of those things, a fear of God, all of that was in place. Yeah. I had a, a reverence for the, for the word of God. No, I didn't read it much at the time, right? But that little you knew it was God's word. Absolutely. That was never a question in my mind. And so when when my uncle asked if if I wanted to accept the Lord, it it was like it made a connection where there was never one before. Accept and, the Lord. and it, it personalized something in a new way. Mm -hmm. and, and I said I wanted to do it. And so he prayed over me. And you know, I don't remember a lot of details, I remember a lot of things about it. But I, I remember getting up after. I remember the people coming around and being so excited and complete strangers hugging me. And I just, you know, I'm this 10-year-old boy. And mm. I I burst into tears. And I was so overwhelmed by all that was going on. It was, it was a pretty incredible, Interesting. incredible I time. I've never heard this story. Yeah. And, uh, and there's good reason you didn't hear about it. Uh, because in our culture and my family, this was th this was something you don't talk about. Right. So we go back to my uncle's place after the service. They ordered they ordered Peter, Peter's pizza at midnight. This you was also something there. you never do. You were still there. Well, I midnight. stayed the night. Like the next Sunday oh, morning oh. before church, I was going to get picked up by my parents who were coming back to town, okay. but not a moment before, right? So I remember this is the first time uh, this tongue ever tasted Hawaiian pizza. Okay. <laughs> so that was a, a unique experience. Stands out. Yeah, it sure does. And and my uncle presented me with this Bible. This one. Now That's the one he would give a Bible. Hardcore Bible. He would, yeah, he would he would give a, a Bible to everyone that accepted the Lord. It's actually my cousin John who was hey dad, aren't you gonna give him a Bible? And he, he didn't he didn't have a, a Bible handy, an extra. 
So he pulled out his own Bible oh, and wow. gave me his Bible. And I, I wrote in the Bible there, uh, June 1st, 1991, Saturday, 10 years old. This book belongs to John H. Jansen. Okay. And there's a stamp with, Henry, yeah, stamp with Henry, Pastor Henry, Henry Wall. And so I've had this Bible now for over 30 years. That's cool. And, but I tell you, that's not the way all of this went because as exciting as all of these things were, in the morning I knew my parents were picking me up. There was still that dread. Of what's oh, there happen. was dread. And I knew what was coming. Like I, my, my, my hide was going to get tanned. I was getting spanking. I knew it. <laughs> and that was okay. Uh, but I was also very nervous and afraid for what had happened. Because they were going to somehow find out and see what yeah, you had been because this this thing about accepting the Lord and this public show in the church and kneeling before an altar and, and receiving a Bible from my my uncle. Well, this this was very foreign territory. And how do I, as a ten year old, navigate this and explain this to my parents? So I didn't. I was just going to say, so you didn't. <laughs> I kept it a secret. I buried it. I hid this Bible. I, I, I snuck it into the home really? at home, and for years I had this Bible at home, and I, and I would read it. I would read it regularly at night. Like I mean, I'd, I'd fall asleep with my fingers between pages because <laughs> on my chair while I was reading. And the Word of God, I loved it, but but I didn't know how to. I was afraid. Yeah. I didn't know how to separate or, or bring together those two different worlds. And so, so I was a closet Christian, I guess, for, for a lot That's of time. so interesting. And in many years, I wouldn't even have said I was a Christian. I wouldn't have said it. Right. I mean, how many times have you accepted Christ in your life? How many times have I prayed that Jesus would come in or whatever the case was? I mean, so many times. So, like, was all clear? Did the, did the heavens part and all became clear to me? No. I was a 10-year-old kid. But something happened there was a turn there. To, to set a tone to put a mark in my life that um, that if I if I had a desire to honor God before it was all the more so now uh, and so much that it made a marked difference in me in some way I don't know if my aunt and uncle ever communicated with my parents probably did at some point maybe they knew but they would have had the same problem I did how do you talk about this how do you bring this up they probably often got kind of looked down upon, right? Because they were no longer old colony. They're a little radical in their faith and all that kind of stuff. My, my aunt and uncle, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, right? They were the, the black sheep of the family, if you want to put it that way, right? Now I had a great relationship with my cousin. But it was always, to some degree, there was always a always a caution, right? Mm. Oh, well, you know, be friends, but, you this know. This is still a little weird to Yeah, me. just stay off the religious department. You know, mm. Don't go in those grounds. Those are murky waters. Interesting. It was actually grade nine, if I can interrupt a little bit. I was in uh, guitar class. There was a special music class where you take your guitars. Okay. Your cousin Abe, yes, James' Abe. brother Abe, yes. was sitting next to me, and we had just come on for the weekend. I think it was a Monday, perhaps, and he asked what we had done, and I told him, you know, church and friends and whatever else. And So he asked that question, which I've shared before. Are you a Christian? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I try to be. My mom had taught me always that you don't say you're a Christian. Somebody else can call you a Christian because they're looking at your works and saying, that guy's got to be a Christian. <laughs> right. But if you ever say, I'm a Christian, uh, you're obviously proud and arrogant and you think you're something special. So I just said, no, I, I don't know if I am. He's like, what do you mean? You you believe Christ or you don't? Well, I, I just can't say it for sure. You know, I'm not going to be the one to tell people. Yeah. I try to be. Look at me. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm doing a pretty good job. So yeah, they, their, their family was different than us old colony men. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they had a clear understanding of the gospel and 
uh, and the impact that that ought to have mm-hmm. in someone's life and also sharing the gospel, right? Not being afraid of those things. Uh, so for myself, I went back into the same home I always had been, you know, discipleship didn't yeah, exist. Yeah. And so I was kind of left to myself with those things, but, but it, but it had certainly made a mark in my life. And, and over the course of the years, just a gradual building upon uh, of those things. There was never a time where there was like a eureka, like it all broke through and everything happened at this point. Mm-hmm. There's just been a gradual adding to those things. And I would think a, a maturing of the process. And I mean, there have been some great truths that I've, that I've discovered along the way. And, and, and I continue to, mm-hmm. and, you know, praise God for that. Right. It's the maturing process. It's the sanctifying work within us yeah. when we're justified. And, but it's, uh, uh, it was no, it was no sudden thing for okay. me. It was a long, drawn-out process. For me, it was obviously very sudden. I've shared yeah. my story before. But I remember when John Bamman and Willie Simons and Abe got saved, and then you must have kind of drifted from what I understood as well. I don't know. You were still Old Colony at the time, I think. But um, I remember once after I finally got saved, I was 21 now. You were married and had had uh, your first child. Yeah, because we had been in, in Texas for a while. That's right. right? I had been living there for And you came back to teach and so. to be the principal here. Yeah. And then I remember shortly after I got saved, probably within a couple months, uh, and this is where I was going to ask you about the cross, about the gospel, about Christ. I remember sitting there at breakfast with you. We went out for breakfast in a little restaurant in Springfield. And uh, huh. you were, you See, were saying, I don't remember this. This is one of those unique <laughs> things that I do remember. Okay. It stood out in my mind. We were talking about blood, and you're like, blood is so gross and disgusting. But he says, but you said, when it comes to the blood of Christ, it's like, yes, just come all over me, wash me, cleanse me, make me whole. And I, I remember it being like this vivid image in my mind that, yeah, the blood of Christ has cleansed me from all sins. Yeah. Yeah. And so clearly, from the age of 10 to the age of whatever, 17, 18, 20, somewhere along the way, the idea of Christ and the gospel, the, the blood of Jesus became significant, right? Where oh, you, absolutely. At that point, you were just like, oh, if it wasn't for the blood, I would yeah. have nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I remember it was many years ago uh, already now, uh, Tom Harmon, he was a traveling pastor. He, he had also been a, a, a trooper, I think, a state trooper. That's right. Uh, in Michigan. Yeah. And... I don't remember a lot about what he shared. I know he had an amazing grasp and memory of the scriptures, like photographic memory. He would like turn pages in his mind and just quote verse after verse after verse. And and I think it was at a father and son camp one year. The one point he made regarding those who, who maybe weren't sure when they were saved or where there was a question in their mind. And he said, drive a stake. Drive a stake in the ground and just make a decision. Decide. And you were struggling with assurance? I wasn't struggling with assurance as much as I was struggling with what do I tell people when they ask when I was saved or how or what? Like at that point, it wasn't clear to me. Mm. And, and and as I was thinking back and processing these things, like I had dismissed this experience when I was 10 years old, years ago already. Okay. Dismissed it as a, well, well, just that's not a thing you do, right? And And it was at that point that I went back to it and drove my stake in and realized that Look, it wasn't all clear. It wasn't all roses and a cakewalk, but but it certainly is one place I can put a stake and say this made a mark, a tangible mark in my life that has set the tone in a certain direction uh, in service to God. That much I could say with confidence. And so I drove my stake. And it was at that time that it was pretty amazing. 
this this is that original Bible, and I'm going to show you this. I don't know if you can see this, but I'm going to give this a try. Focus, focus. Yeah, at the top line there, you see there's a section that's completely that was whited out. Well, I whited that out of my Bible because because I was very nervous about somebody finding it and what they would would say. My parents or you wrote that, or did no, I wrote that? I wrote okay. that in the day I received this Bible from my uncle, and I wrote. Today, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Now, I misspelled accepted. But nevertheless, I wrote it in my Bible the same day I wrote my name and everything else and the date. And then you whited it out. And then I whited it out. Oh, my. I whited it out because I was so afraid. Just like I hid my Bible, I hid the fact that I had If somebody Christ. were to find the Bible, that they wouldn't see that part of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And so I believe it was at this camp, somewhere at that point when I drove this stake and realized what the case was. And I went, yeah. I went and I scratched off the whiteout. <laughs> and, and, and that too was a marker in my life because there was nothing to be ashamed of. God had done such an incredible thing. And here you are like 12 years later or something. Oh, I mean, it's, it's been more than that now, right? Yeah. And, and God continues as well. Wow. So I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed of what God has done for me. And continues to do. So the gospel, receive it. Receive it with gladness. It is going to transform your life if you allow it. Mm -hmm. the, uh, one of the things that stood out to me about, about John during our teenage years is that, and, and it's sometimes it's just a hormonal thing, and I don't know how much to share and how much to stay away from, but I, I think it was the Spirit of God working in you even when you were not aware of it, perhaps. You were able to stay free from sins that almost every other young man was involved in. And you lived an upright life all through your teenage years without any discipleship. Obviously, you had your sin. Obviously, you had your immaturity. But you were stable. You were mature. You had vision and purpose. You were working hard from 15 and 16 years old already or younger, perhaps. Remember, when I met you, you were working with your dad and your brother. And uh, you had a different aura about you, if that's the right word, than most teenagers did. So I, that's pretty neat to think. Yeah. You know, it's... A lot of different motivations in that. Right. I, I've always aimed to please. I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to do the right thing. I did too. Uh, but my my motivation was uh, warped. Okay. Right? It was a lot of very much uh, works-based approach. Um, duty, responsibility has always been very important to me. It's our culture too. Uh, and continues to be, right? Um, so, so I would become very self-righteous. And, and the, the things I did were works I did for the purpose of, I don't know if necessarily, I don't know if I would have framed it or, or said it in a way that I was earning, trying to earn God's right. uh, approval or, his, or, or credit in order to get into heaven. It wasn't for that purpose. But yet, yet if, if God has done this work in your life, then these are things you have to do. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. Not your allowed to or you may or you have the opportunity to that's right like hey god i love you and i just can't help but do these things because of my uh my heart for you uh it was well this is this is what ought to be done so i'm, I'm sure gonna do it right <laughs> and so better all of you yeah. so you find yourself kind of critical judgmental Maybe, yeah. like i can imagine what the household must have been like you and john working george working together George kind of went a different direction. He was outwardly rebellious and kind of, you know, always squealing his tires and 
making a mess of things and you were the studious good you know good boy yeah at least that's the way i wanted to frame it yeah 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 so that must have led to some contention yeah it certainly did and and you know if if my brother wanted to leave me behind it was probably for good reason uh i probably wasn't easy to get along with right i was that that rebuking younger younger brothers oh you shouldn't do that oh you shouldn't do that you know, like the conscience on his shoulder like i'd have i'd have got rid of me too <laughs> i don't have enough time being around myself yeah. let alone my brother right there you go. so so i don't blame him for those times i uh, it, it was probably a, a near miracle that i was able to be around him as much as i was but generally you know, we got along fairly well so um, so i think he tolerated a lot with me Nice. One thing I really appreciate about your testimony, and even my, my own, is I see some young people, they think, they, they hear these testimonies of drug addicts and, you know, porn addicts and alcoholics, maybe murder or whatever it is, and then they finally come to Christ and they have this amazing transformation. Yeah. Um, and yet, you and I have kind of boring testimonies. We didn't do drugs, didn't steal, didn't drink, didn't curse and swear. I remember you telling a story once that you and your brother John had, George had gone into a, a shed, I think it was, and had said a bad word. Just to see how it felt coming out of your mouth, right? <laughs> so we were good people, and yet we came to see our need for a savior, and God zealously transformed us. Like right where we're now, you know, passionate about the gospel because we know that apart from Christ, we could do nothing. So you don't have to be a bad, terrible sinner, so to speak. You know, I I'm not classifying my classifying myself or you as a good people. Jesus said, "I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." And that's not—he wasn't saying you better talk to yourself. He, I was. You, you speak for yourself because I was one of the best he wasn't sinners saying around. I was a really good That one. there was some good people there. <laughs> he was saying you all need to see that you need a Savior, right? And somehow we were able to see it by the grace of God. And here we are. Right? And you know, and we, oh, I mean, I, I can speak for myself. I knew that I was a sinner, but of all the sinners around, I was one That's of the better ones. One. Yeah. yeah, I was one of the better ones. Like, you know, I was doing, doing all right. I was holding my own. And. And that self-righteous stench before God must have been. Uh, that itself what a, what a merciful you God. and make you feel sinful, right? Yeah. Recognizing and, that. But recognizing it was the problem, right? And this is the, the biggest issue there is for, for individuals who are self-righteous. In fact, I think there's probably more danger for those who are self-righteous in their own eyes than, than for those who are in open rebellion against God. Oh, that's, that's it. Because there's no question in their mind yeah. of where they're at. They know they stand condemned. This is why God. the Pharisees couldn't accept. Absolutely Christ. right. Absolutely right. And and I was I was right there with the Pharisees. Yeah, you go, guys. You know, I would never admit it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm not one of them. I'm. And so there's something that I have seen progressively uh, increase in my life, and that is my own desperate state. And you know, Jesus says that. Uh, he who is forgiven little, little he loveth little. Mm -hmm. And early on, no, I was forgiven very little because I was I really good. I was really good. And so because I was forgiven little, I only needed a little Savior. Mm -hmm. A little bit because, because I did the rest of it myself. Um, but over the course of time, I've come to see myself in... In a new light, in light of the scriptures, in light of the, uh, the grace of God, and, and I tell you, my Savior has become beautiful in a way that right, he's become great, <laughs> not just little. He's great. We are in desperate need. Yeah. 
no matter how good you may have. Yeah, been. Uh, and and I'm so blessed by the fact that that picture becomes clearer and clearer all the time. That's uh, the work of God, and it's funny. It's funny how how it works. Like when I was young and ignorant and self righteous, I had everything nailed down. I mean, it was black and white to me. This is right. That is wrong. This far and no further. So far. It's just like I would test the waters yep. and see how far I could get away with things and know where the limit was. I would set limits in my life the same way. I know where the lines That's right. I can go this far. This is okay. This terrible thing I'm doing, is that's not a big deal. But this, is this, I won't go anywhere there. And I set all my – it was ridiculous. The, ridiculous. Jew, the Jews rejected the righteousness of God and <laughs> went about seek, make, establishing their own righteousness. Well, that, uh, that is – that is my testimony right there. Now, this was long after I was 10 years old and had accepted the Lord, but what a gracious God that he put up with me as he did. And, you know, now these years later, as I've come to see and learn and understand so many of these things, it's it's funny how the very opposite seems to have happened. Those clear lines where, I mean, things were black and white. Yeah. You know, there's a lot more gray than I would even personally prefer. Yeah, I often talk about closed-handed issues and open-handed issues, <laughs> yeah. and I used to think that the closed-handed issues was a big pile of stuff, and it's starting to actually become a lot smaller. It's like, these are the things I know for sure. Those are the only issues I ever had were closed-handed ones, right? And whatever it was, open-handed in somebody else's mind, I quickly shut them yeah. where I could. Uh, that was my crusade in life, right? Well, yeah. to me, the one of the, the paramount things that has driven me to see my need for a Savior and realize my selfishness and hopelessness has been the things that God has instituted from the beginning, like marriage. You know, you find a wife, he that finds a wife finds a good thing. And then at the same time, it's the best sanctifying tool that there is. Here you are, two selfish people, both think they're pretty good. You attach yourselves permanently together, you throw away the keys and say, okay, let's work this out. And how, I mean, it'll expose every fault and failure and sin and selfishness that you Absolutely. have. Absolutely. And then, and then as that that marriage continues. In in most cases, uh, many versions of you come along as well. Yeah, your own children, and exactly. what a mirror to look into of yourself. So you and, see such irritating oh, things in them, and you think, how could they be oh, that way? And you recognize, God, you, your manifold mercy and grace is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> how do you do it? Uh, yeah. And you also get a taste of a small taste, just a tiny taste of what the depth of the love of God must be. Mm-hmm. You know that if if we can if we can love broken, sinful people as we do, even in our human relationships, and they can be so precious to you, your own children, your your wife, your husband. How many times is that magnified and multiplied when when God thinks on us in mm-hmm. that relationship? And you know, that is such a one-sided relationship. Sometimes, sometimes you learn one little thing about someone and you can almost not love them anymore. And you're like so irritated and annoyed with that person. It's like, I'd rather just not. Yeah. And yet God knows the depths of our soul. From the very beginning, thing. right? Start to finish, he knows it all. And he knows what he's getting Based into. on the fact that he loves us <laughs> and died for us when we while we had sinners, he says, now just go do that. Go do that to other people, right? I've married a lot of people. Uh, and these young couples, uh, sometimes I'll say to them, you know, right now is when your sweetheart is at their sweetest. Mm-hmm. 
and you're going to discover things about this one you're promising yourself to that they're going to make you scratch your head and just it's going to be hard. But they don't, they don't that's kind of it at that. Oh no, at that point it's hard to see and recognize, but they'll come to see it. Yeah, we know that. This is my prophecy into their lives. That's right. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way with God because He sees it all from the beginning, that's from the end. He sees it all, and while we were yet His enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. I was one of them. If we could know all that we might run into or the the, the uh, selfishness of our spouse or the own selfishness that might be exposed, we might run from marriage, right? Sure, sure. And yet he knew it all and he ran to it. Yeah. He ran to the yeah. cross, you know, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what I will. Let's even, say, let's even say our spouses were perfect and they did everything just right as far as their relationship was concerned. What they would expose in us would be uncomfortable enough to make us run for the hills. Yeah. We would question it just without having to do with the their absolutely it doesn't have to do with them. But now you bring both broken parties to the party, and so many party. times nowadays when people get married, now they they when they see all the selfishness that comes out of them and of the other person, they think that oh something has changed. This has exposed. This has brought out a lot of bad things, and, and they don't realize that it is actually just bringing out what's already there. Right? Yeah. Somebody gave yeah. that illustration of you know you see a bridge from underneath it looks fine, but then you put a twenty thousand Mac truck on 20,000 pound Mack truck on there and then you see all the cracks and lines and that's what marriage is yeah. it's like putting a massive weight upon you and it's like oh, you know everything's going to come out and it's going to show yeah. itself yeah it's remarkable right as much as the the marriage is a is a weight that puts the pressure on it's also the very thing that in, in many cases helps to strengthen yeah <laughs> and helps us to bear those things together, right? As paradoxically, almost. yeah, yeah. As uh, how can how can two walk together except they be agreed? Yeah, uh, two are better than one. I've often shared at, at weddings or at with young couples too when I'm counseling them and I talk about there's an incredible freedom and liberty in marriage, but in order to experience this liberty, you have to be bound, yeah. which is a complete contradiction. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't absolutely. even make any sense. Absolutely. You're going to bind yourself to another person, lose all your personal liberty and rights and freedoms in order to express or in order to gain this other freedom, this beauty of relationship. And that's the same as the gospel. The marriage Absolutely. The gospel is so Absolutely. It's a beautiful picture. So you met Sarah in Texas, of all places, and brought her up here. Yeah, it was funny how I went. I, I had said to the Lord and some of my friends, Ontario doesn't have anybody for me. <laughs> and yeah, recklessly and hastily, you know, mm -hmm setting my boundaries with my words again. And uh, Abe had planned to take a trip, Abe Bird had planned to take a trip to Texas. Abe's responsible for a lot in your life. You know, he really <laughs> is. Like He was a catalyst in many ways, and yeah. God used him in a mighty way in my life. He uh, was incredible. I was a little bit too young. I wasn't able to go with to Texas in those times where he went. Well, again, this was one of those things where, you know, in my mind as I rehearsed this and knew where boundaries were, mentioning to my parents that hey i want to go to texas with my friend how does that sound <laughs> no way right never but there were some interesting things going on in the background my parents had planned a trip to mexico and right during that time and you know i was i would have been 18 17 18 at the time and i was concerned about what things were going to be like in Mexico. My cousins, the lifestyle there, what was going on, what I would expect, you know, the drinking, the rowdy, 
stuff going on. Like I wasn't a part of any of that, and, and I didn't want any part of that. Yeah. And I knew that that was a big thing. I mean, that was a big thing when I was there as a 13-year-old. And these four, five years later, you can imagine how that would just be intensified. And, and it was a concern to me. I expressed that concern to my parents, and they could understand. They recognized that. And they, they knew I wanted to avoid that. And they had known me for years already. We had yeah. a good relationship. Stayed in your house for night all the time. And I, I think they, well, they trusted Abe as well. And when I pitched the idea about, uh, about possibly going to Texas. During you that drove time with, with Abe instead. to Texas? No, Abe and I drove separately, but we were gone about the same amount of time. Or maybe I would have come back even sooner. I can't remember exactly how that went. But it was within that time, same time period. Rather than going on to Mexico, to Mexico, I would just join in Texas with his family. Okay. And uh, and so that's where where Sarah and I met. And it was an interesting thing. Like I had been in some relationships with some girls in the past, but it, it was always instigated by, you know, I was flattered by someone, and, and I would never initiate something myself. It, it, I don't know, shy or withdrawn, or I just couldn't get myself to. Uh, to do it, right? It was a serious thing. And in my mind, uh, I had always had this thought in my mind that uh, I would I would want to marry the first person I ever dated. Like, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't want to date a whole bunch of people. That was the purpose and the intent. That was clear in my mind. Um, when I got to Texas, uh, met Sarah, got to know her son. I actually, I rode along uh, and Sarah came along. We were kind of the, the, this, the friends of those who were going on a date. Okay. We were like just to tag along to prevent it from getting too awkward. Yeah. Well, you know, in the end, never worked out for anyone else, but for Sarah and I, yeah, it did, so where there were no initial intentions. <laughs> and I actually, on the first time, uh, we were talking about all the kinds of things on the way home. And, and I had said to Sarah that uh, I'd explained to her the first, the, the way I wanted to propose to my wife someday, my fiance, okay. if ever I was going to do that, this is how I was going to do it. You're telling her. And I was going to, yeah, I was telling her this. Uh, I was going to write a poem. It was going to be on the, in the beach of the water. And I was going to recite this poem and, uh, and, uh, by, by the ocean. Mm -hmm. well, behold, it's exactly what I did. You did it. By yeah, the ocean. Years later. By the ocean. Yeah. Corpus Christi. The Gulf of Mexico, Corpus Christi. I proposed, uh, let me see. So I knelt in the water and, and I said, with God as my witness in the angels above, I hold out my hand to ask for your love. I'll carry it with me for the rest of my life if you'd only answer that you'd be my wife. There you go. Sarah there. <laughs> <laughs> and she couldn't she resist the poem. Couldn't resist. Got her. <laughs> Line and sink. And so the rest of history. Oh, that's awesome. But, but it was interesting because... Uh, you know, I, I, I love my wife. But God has a unique way of working. Uh, in so many things in my my life, God had to take all the things that I had clear in my mind, the black and white, and he broke it all to pieces. Laser and shambles and, you know, here's my best effort. Mm. And this is what it gets me. You know, I had, a, I had a laundry list of requirements for anybody that I, I would ever marry. Okay. I mean, they, it couldn't be anybody who drank, couldn't be anybody who smoked, they could swear, they could so on, this and this and this and on and on and on. The long list of whatever. I was picky. Uh, I was righteous. And I had, yeah, you know, there were standards, standards to be met. 
well, I don't know that. Well, when I met Sarah, she wouldn't even have uh, confessed to being a Christian at the time. Okay. She wasn't saved at the time. Uh, I met her in a party scene. The first time I saw her, uh, she was holding a beer in her hand, standing <laughs> alone, and she was she was looking like a she looked like a snob. Oh no! And okay, so I'm saying this, and this is public, but you know, my wife is amazing. She's wonderful, and she God seems like an incredible, good, thing. righteous person yeah. to me. <laughs> she is, uh, but just like the rest of us, she hasn't always been. Um, so I just say that to say that you know all the things that that I had set up for myself, these requirements that I had placed, like it was all broken. Mm -hmm. None of it, none of it was Except was the way that I expected. <laughs> right, that was that was one thing. Of course, that broke all the rules too, because well, this is so impractical. I'm such a practical guy. That's way too impractical. You guys long wrote, distance. Wrote like, letters for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're talking. Well, that's exactly what we did. We wrote letters. Those are pieces of paper where people write words on. Pen. Yeah, that's right. Pencils sometimes. <laughs> no emails, nothing like that. No text <laughs> messages. No Snapchats and this, that's and whatever. Well, else. actually, a little commercial here. Some of you young men that maybe might be interested in my daughters, I have said, and maybe I won't stick to it. We'll see. I've said, if you want to get to know them, write them letters. Yeah. Share with them your thoughts for life, and this is what they did. So it was actually probably better that you were at a distance than constantly tempted to be Absolutely. intimate. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was one of the protections that God put in place, hmm. that you only see that after. We wrote letters to each other, and, you know, the letters, the same reason again, because you're writing it down. You're thinking about what you're saying. You're thinking about the impact of that's not the right how that is got to erase that. exactly or hey i've got to fill up these pages what are we going to talk about so you ask questions i asked sarah a lot of questions about where she stood with god questions that i had been wrestling through what i've been learning and this passage is important to me because of this and this mm -hmm. and different things and it was actually during that time like that christmas she had received a bible from her parents an actual an english bible and and she was really searching and a lot of that was spurred on by these things that i was writing and, wow. and, and as a result of that she was saved uh you know incredible but the things that god used yeah. uh, through these things now you know how it is you talk to somebody on the phone your girlfriend uh, hey hey <laughs> so what'd you do today yeah so uh, you like stuff or can, yeah. can you imagine uh typing out <laughs> or writing out text messages oh, and trying to keep them for memory's sake and like oh this was such a precious time of conversation that we had lol yeah. uh, using <laughs> the number four for the word four and the letter u it's like young people come on snap out of it yeah and here's a, it's a great suggestion for you do like we did for your 10th anniversary you bring that box of all those letters along and you read them to each other that's cool. that was powerful that's great. so so that's how how that came about and we were married in Texas. In Texas, we I were thought married. I missed the wedding. My uh, my sister was baptized when I was seventeen or eighteen, uh, and and I remember sitting in the church uh, in Elmer. This was in Ontario. I was there for that baptism, and and you know I wasn't. I didn't get baptized that year, but I may as well have. Like. What God was stirring in me, what the Spirit was stirring in me, what was going on during my sister's testimony, I may as well have been there with her. Mm. <laughs> uh, far more, as far as any experience is concerned, 
uh, that's a secondary thing, but uh, there was far more there at my sister's baptism than there ever was for my own. Interesting. And it was like the next year when I was baptized, I was just going through the motions. This thing was done and sealed in my heart, in my mind. Now we just got to do this for everybody else. Okay. And, and this is still, still all old colony. Oh, yes. Yeah. And and then it was the following, uh, yeah, that was the following year, and we were married that year. 2000. Uh, year 2000 in August. And so we were married, living uh, in Texas for a week, and then we moved back to Ontario. It was only uh, a week. I was going to ask. Moved back to Ontario for a uh, for a teaching position at the school. Right. Oh, I tell you, we were ignorant. Ignorant. Brand. Stupid. We had no idea what we were doing. I mean, that would have been a terrible idea uh, in hindsight. But I mean, all of those things, God has used them in such a mighty way. Yeah. And uh, But you took a, a kind of a natural... Uh, there was a natural ability that you had to help lead young boys and girls and to teach them whether it was math or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was interesting, right? The The old colony school where I attended, uh, I was a part of the first graduating class mm -hmm. in a high school uh, for the school. So <laughs> a couple of years later, you were teaching or the principal. Yeah. So I graduated at uh, 16. It was just, okay. just shy of my 17th birthday. And, so 96 -ish. and in, in 2000 so yeah i'd have been 20. uh i started teaching school yeah uh, 20 21 i just would have turned 21 i guess <laughs> that i was teaching school so in a way i was uniquely qualified because those were the first ones to graduate yeah you knew what the school system exactly. was exactly like. and so now now Took approaching it from the other side of from the desk. ben bergen or was it john dyke then right? uh, it was john dyke okay yeah, uh, at that time and yeah that began so Good years. I really enjoyed it. Nobody was going to teach school was doing it for the money. No, <laughs> no that's that for sure. was. Aaron, my brother, struggled with that too. Yeah. He didn't yeah. make a lot of money. And you know, and I, I think they were doing better in Leamington. <laughs> really? Yeah. As as far as the, the pay, or at least. Well, for many years, he just saw it purely as a ministry. Yeah, uh, absolutely. For that reason. Absolutely. And uh, Aaron was excellent in what he did there, too. It was wonderful. So it was good years. I enjoyed the. We did the interaction with the students. I really enjoyed, right? But okay. I just, I just saw that this couldn't last forever. But you did it for a number of years. Uh, there were first initially two years uh, in Elmer, then one year in Texas. Oh, that's right. And then three years uh, back here in Elmer again. Okay. See, for those years, you and I kind of completely lost touch, or had very little to do with. Yeah, and which is very common. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. You get married, and there's a whole new, whole well, new you life. You guys were also right? doing Bible studies and prayer meetings. And I remember showing up a couple times, <laughs> oh. you guys, and maybe Herman and Helen, maybe John and Lena Harder were there, I forget. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, uh, this is not for me. I'm not interested. But you were still old colony, so it was kind of like. Yeah, there was that funny middle ground where yeah. nobody really knew where you stood. Yeah, one foot in and one foot out already. Uh, that was the first year at the old colony, and it was the second year at the school um, is where we had. Uh, my my mom had died during that time. Uh, our son had died mm. uh, during that time, and I don't think a lot of people remember that from you. Probably. Yeah, yeah. So that was, was the same year as your mom. So my my mom had died in February. Uh, I believe it was February. They were in in fact, January or February in Bolivia. Bolivia. I was thinking Campeche or something. Uh, so we we were married. My wife and I were married in August of 2000, and then in 2001. Uh, January or February of that year, uh, my mom had passed, and 
when she was 42. I'm almost as old Whoa. as she. Why is she, it when you're a kid you think these people are old? I thought amazing? your mom was an old lady. Of course not. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And so, uh, and so we went to Bolivia for the for the funeral, and that was obviously that's one of those markers on your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we were expecting. We got pregnant right around that time, and in uh, October 26th, our our firstborn was born, uh, Ethan. And did you know beforehand that he had this? We we learned that about six months along that. There were some concerns, there were some issues, and and of course that leads to more testing and more testing, and the more testing they did, the more problems they found, and um, so it was about six months along, and so he had a, a form of congenital heart disease, okay. which, uh, yeah, and the more testing, the more problems, and, and so we we knew that uh, that the prospects were not good. Yeah. Uh, they expected that he would die. They didn't know when exactly. And we came to visit you. You guys were living in Mount Salem. Ah, and we uh, came to visit you with the baby, and it was just like, what? The, the baby looks perfect. He looked beautiful. It was so was nice. Amazing. Yeah. And it was, uh, we had five churches uh, at that time who were in prayer for us. And I remember individuals saying, oh, God is going to heal him. God is going to heal him. But it was as, as though God had given me peace that he was going to pass. Mm. Uh, strange like you're your parent and you want to hope the best and yeah. the most for your your child right this innocent helpless child but somehow God had given us rest and peace with him Sarah as well yeah now we had now with that of course there's all this pain and grieving and wondering and unhope. And, and yet somehow it just didn't seem as though that would be the direction that, that it would go. Mm-hmm. It just didn't have that sense or that peace with that. And so he was, I, I believe Ethan was about 11 and a half, 12 and a half days or so. And, and things were looking very rough. He was, uh, his color was uh, was off and his breathing was very shallow and he was becoming less and less responsive. And, and uh, we were neighbors to uh, Cornelius Enzis. That's uh, right. At the stuff. Uh, yeah, the bishop at the, at the old colony. We had a great relationship with them as our neighbors. He was a nice guy. Oh, yeah. And, and, and they really, they kind of took us under their wings. We were friends with them. Mm-hmm. And, and it was precious, a precious time. And uh, now when things were, were looking so bad with Ethan, we had invited them over. And, and they came, they came over and just, we, they prayed together with us and, and uh, Mr. Enns asked me to uh, to pray just one more time before before they left, and, and so I took Ethan and I held him and we prayed, surrendered him to to God again, mm-hmm. and and as I closed in prayer, he died, breathed his last breath, and it was like I mean, never before and never since have I had an experience like that where. It's like I could feel spirit slip out of the body. And and it was a very, very powerful experience, obviously. Um, but, but I remember just thinking, you know, this is not my son. This this was now a shell. <laughs> I remember that very distinctly, you telling me that story back then. And mm-hmm. you were just like, he's not here anymore. 
I'm holding his body, but he's not here. Yeah. It was much more difficult for my wife. She was a lot more attached to the body. <laughs> I mean, literally being physically absolutely. attached to the body. Yeah. Part of you is all the hormones and absolutely. changes in yeah. her this, body. This first, for this first born, and there's so much hope and excitement uh, built upon that in so many ways, right? In some small way, like, <laughs> and maybe it's ridiculous or sounds foolish now, but, you know, God gave up his first form. Mm-hmm. And, and am I going to hold on to mine? Okay. Yeah. And, and it, was a, it was a blur in a lot of ways, a lot of the things that happened there. Uh, I felt kind of separated from the, the body. Yet that was important to my wife. And so the whole process with the How funeral, do you understand her? Uh, it was strange. Grief. Sarah was having a hard time understanding me and that, you know, what's with this guy? He isn't, How, he isn't seem, reacting or responding. Like yeah, calloused, cold. And uh, we were at the at the viewing, which was common at that time. And uh, I remember Helena Harder, maybe fair at that time, Helena Harder, she'd come in with a, with a picture uh, of... <laughs> I was tickling yeah. Ethan's foot. And when I saw the picture, I mean, I was fine there, the viewing the whole time, but when I saw that picture, I just crushed me. Yeah. And I said, tax myself. She had captured the spirit almost. Of- well, that was exactly it, right? This, this is who I was missing, not the shell that was left behind, not this husk of a body, but here where I was interacting. And then that was like the light bulb went on for my wife, and she understood where I was coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just you know, people have such a different way to to react and to respond. And I've I've ministered at funerals, and I felt like such a fool. Like if you, how do you? Yeah. I don't know where people are coming from. Or do they feel like me? Do it. they feel <laughs> differently? How uh, navigating those waters? It's, it requires some real gifting and. I don't feel like I have it, but well, but we can learn. Wow. And so those were very formative years. Uh, they were heavy and difficult years, and they seemed to all and, and come it, in one and pile it took at the years, beginning, probably, to navigate through that. The solution it, it didn't did. come for another you know, three we, or four years. We had hoped to have children right after. Yeah, and I think it was very close to the three-year mark. Actually, the same month. Three years. Uh, was born October seventh. A few years later, we had a couple of uh, a couple of miscarriages in between. You know, and it was funny. We had couples, young couples that we knew very well. Sarah's sister. It was like they, they couldn't look at each other when yeah, they get pregnant. Right. Well, we, we yeah, ended up having Hallie just before you guys yeah, had Lucian. Yeah. So now it looks like our family is older than yours. Yeah. And so uh, these were. A lot of these things we're wrestling through, and God was really, really doing a work, a deepening work in us during that time and preparing us for so many things. Like, who knows what at the time you're like, God, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Who's are you on? Right? And, but no, we would never, with, we would never change it. With now, Ethan, right? Ethan's death and the congenital heart defect and then the miscarriages, there must have been a lot of fear that maybe we'll never be able to have good, yeah. healthy children. Right? Yeah. Now you have five. Yeah, we have uh, we have five, <laughs> three boys. You know, not hesitate as we much as a, me. We just had a two and a half, <laughs> uh, two and a half month old right yeah. now. Just about three months. One, one born out of due time. <laughs> That's right. So, 
So we, we now have a range uh, with our current children. Um, Lucian's the oldest. He's uh, just about 17. And the youngest now at two and a half months. So with 17 even, or just about 18? He is just about 17. Was he born in 03 or 04? Oh, don't ask me these questions. 04. He was okay. born in 04. I thought he was the same year. October as of 04. Okay, he's, he's odd. Now, he's Ethan would have been, well, he would have been 2001. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we have about a 19 year, 19 and a half year gap between the oldest and the, yeah. and the youngest now. So. Wow. Very exciting. Well, I mean, I usually try to cut it off around an hour. I know it's probably a touch over at this point, but you know we could talk still about how you started in the real estate. You left the, the school and then uh, built your own real estate empire. I don't know. That's not. Oh that's yeah. A bit of an exaggeration. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. But um, I've done well that way, and then now ministering and have ministered for like you said almost since you became a Christian. As soon as you left Old Colony, you went to Beak to. Uh, uh, yeah, it was Houghton Center. Houghton Center. Yeah, way back on and the lake shore. Almost right? immediately started preaching and teaching and have continued to preach and teach all these years. Well, there was a little more time in between. Well, so, from my perspective, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting. Um, I, I always struggled with the idea of leaving the uh, the school for secular work. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, this is the narrative of my life, right? Set your boundaries, your standards, and their high standards. No, that's good and fine. God isn't against high standards. But... But when you set the standards rather than allowing God to establish those things, that becomes problematic. Yeah. It was the same thing with work. I dealt with a lot of guilt. You know, it was hard to make ends meet for my family with the income I was getting at the school. It was a ministry. But now to go to secular yeah. work, abandon the ministry for secular work, what kind of worldly carnal person am I if I do that? That's all. I struggled with those things for a long time and... Finally, I, I set a few conditions again. <laughs> Made my list. You're always so organized. <laughs> and I uh, ask my wife. She'll so when I she's more organized. She, she does this <laughs> for me. <laughs> she's more organized. Oh yeah, she is. But I but I wanted to have some line of work where where my past experience could help me. I had renovated and done different kinds of construction work. Um, where where my reading and writing skills and my like paperwork didn't scare me, communication. right? Communication. And communication, uh, using German uh, as a second language, low German, mm -hmm. uh, having that advantage, a benefit. I wanted something where I could utilize all of that. And I could do like uh, every other guy and his cousin and his friend and his buddy and buy a tool, tool yeah, and you a had truck and trailer and, before. and do that work. But just the starting out and building up uh, to get to a place where that I, yeah, I was just looking for something, something else, mm -hmm. and real estate came along, and I finally uh, bit the bullet, yeah. so to speak. I had to give notice to the to the school board. I knew that time was coming up, and I finally said to them, "You know, that's it. I'm I'm finished. Uh, I'm going to pursue real estate. This will be my last year." And well, that was no small thing. That was a big deal. But you know, there was a new. Uh, school board chairman who came in right during that time and there was there was a decision made that summer or that school season that for the next school season anyone who was not attending the that. old colony school or church they were going to do a purge would be eliminated from because the school. they were losing all these young people so to the gospel I, if i churches. had not left yeah i'd have been fired that year anyway wow and it was just such a confirmation to me 
kind of like God saying, oh, John, you're, you're pathetic. Oh, if you knew. But I'll tell you what. I know how you're going to react. I'm going to do this just to help you along. There you go. Look at this. <laughs> and what a confidence booster that was. Yeah. Uh, it, it really helped. And so, you know, and there was a few years where, where I still took on any odd job on the side I could do. In fact, I was at the point again of thinking about buying a truck and a trailer. Because that would have been more steady work. Right. And I was like, wait a minute. If I'm going to invest this kind of money into something, I'm going to invest it into this business that I'm pursuing here in real estate. And so I had purchased a brake, an aluminum brake by that time already. I sold that. I sold my uh, main tools and I bought a little car. And, there you go. And then started selling houses. Well, I, you, made, you made a point there about secular work versus Christian work. And I think sometimes one of the reasons I started this podcast actually was to interview people who are doing the Lord's work, but all they're doing is swinging a hammer. Absolutely. It's, like, it's secular work. But if you are feeding God's people. Work. Is God's work. There that is go. ministry. It is God's it's work to his honor and glory. The Bible says that God is the one who sustains humanity. Yes. He makes the rain to fall yes. and the sun to shine. And he's the one that feeds. So if you're at a part of that process of feeding and clothing and housing people, you are doing God's work. Yeah. You can do it in a carnal way, but you can also do ministry in a carnal way. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I'm just a really slow learner. That's that's what the problem is. It takes me a long time to figure these things out. Yeah. Anyway, we'll have to do another hour sometime yeah, to cut it off because people don't want to listen for two hours. Or do they? <laughs> Leave a comment. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you coming, John. That was very, my pleasure. Very much a pleasure for me.